Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. center of the galaxy this is the force center podcast feed and this show is cues of the force that q stands for questions i said that really triumphantly like somebody is pushing back against questions and the q is like no i will stand up for questions we've got some great ones excited to talk about them i'm joseph Scripture. You had some old-timey stage gravitas in that. <laughs> Questions. Almost with a twirling mustache, but on the light side. Yeah, a light side mustache. How are you, Ken? 
I am great. We got some big questions today uh, that I, uh, I I took some good notes on and then lost my Google Drive doc for a day. I couldn't find it. And I thought, oh, I'll have to do the notes again. And I found them. The force found the notes. So we're good to go. <laughs> Google Drive, would you say, is Google Drive on the light or the dark side of the force? It needs to stay on the light because literally everything I do is run off of it. I'm one of those folks. So if it goes down, my whole career stops. <laughs> I think sometimes Google Drive, unlike, you know, like Luke on Octo who chooses to disconnect from the force, every Every once in a while, Google Drive chooses to disconnect from the yeah. Force user. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Google Drive, but who knows? Maybe we will. We want to start by letting you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, or indeed anything that plays stuff, I bet. Uh, this week, we are recommending The Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis. Uh, by the time this episode drops, this book will be out in the world. Uh, Ken and I have both started this book and have really, really enjoyed it. Can't wait to finish. Can't wait to discuss. If you would like to give it a listen, you can download your free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash center. One more time, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. Ken, have you been continuing to read The Princess and the Scoundrel? No, because I'm bad at homework. Love it. I am about 100 pages in. And as I've said before, it's already got some of my favorite Star Wars writing in it. And I mean, of all time, going back to my youth. <laughs> I can really, there's some stuff I love in it. But then I knew you and I were going to be covering this a little bit later. So I was like, oh, I don't have to finish this for a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to put my homework aside. And I, I'm just, I'm horrible at that. I'm horrible at that. I got to get better. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I That first 100 pages, I was like, this was some pinch me stuff of like, am I reading this? Do I get to read this? And is it this good? Absolutely amazing. And then without any spoilers, there's kind of a, a transition in the book around page 100. And I gobbled the book up to that point, And then I got busy. And I was really like, I want to give this my full focus. I've had to set it aside. And I'm looking forward to picking it back up. Absolutely. All right. Well, we could talk about The Princess and the Scoundrel all day, even though we haven't finished reading it. Look forward uh, to that book discussion. For now, we are going to get to your questions. As always, we have two from Twitter and two from our patrons on Patreon. We have a lot of great questions, some big ones, some intense ones, some heavy ones, some important ones. And uh, yeah, no, that's what we have this week, pretty much. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say, and some fun ones. These are fun, too. But these are all weighty questions. Sometimes that's just the way it works out. So let's dive in. Uh, First, we go to Twitter. And this comes to us from Ray Hernandez. Ray says, hi, do you think with time, the right teacher, and most importantly, in openness to learn, could any living sentient being in the galaxy far, far away learn to wield the force like the Jedi in Sith? Or is it really a hard-coded yes-no for force powers just based on genetics? Mm. This is a... Mm complex question i think uh mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have gotten other questions in, in in the long ago past uh and recently as well i think this is such a a complex complex question i think kind of a sensitive one because i think it, it dives into uh what is star wars about what does star wars mean what is being communicated what do we kind of take from the story into our own lives so as we dive in i want to acknowledge how uh, complex it is and I definitely want to give a big caveat that uh, I will be giving uh, my thoughts, and that's all they are, my thoughts. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think my answer is definitive. Uh, these are my thoughts because I know this is one that people feel really strongly about, and it can become really personal. 
so with those simple caveats in mind, Ken, <laughs> where do you start with this question? Uh, I, I am I am spitting straight facts here. All right, I'll, I'll counter that. <laughs> I'm actually quoting uh, George, and uh, you know his his word is always golden, unless he changes his own words depending on the time or you know decades which you find it. Um, yeah, this is this is big, and it's big overall because you know the idea that um, we all. I love the idea. We all should have this chance, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a great thought. And I think there's some truth to that. I think there's some truth in, you know, force being everywhere and binding us and this and that. And I always go to, I know I've said it before, but Jan Dodonna saying, may the force be with you. I just grew up as a kid thinking everyone knows it. Everyone can touch it. Just some people are better at it. And that does lead me to that. That Actually, it's funny. I actually tried to look up the exact quote again. It's the George Lucas basketball player quote that I talked about before. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find <laughs> <laughs> I think it's at a Star Wars archives book. I just tried to Google search it. He, he, George at one point had said, you know, you know, we all can learn to play basketball. Just some people are going to be naturally better than it. And that's not necessarily uh, even the best answer, but the, it's one that does kind of make sense to me as a starting point. Mm. But I got a new iPad recently and I, there was an app that popped up. I was like, learn to play piano, get this app. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. Then in my head, I was like, I am not Luke Skywalker of the piano. So <laughs> I don't know. So it stops myself and maybe that's what this is about. So I don't know. That's where I start. That's the overall start. I'll kick it back to you first of all, David. That, 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 the basketball thing, that, that does kind of make sense though overall for Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think for me, there is a, a part of this conversation that is the natural uh, ability and training, right? Lucas emphasizes training again yeah. and again. There's that story that uh, uh, Lucas allegedly said to Filoni, like, hey, good job with the Grogu kid. He's got to train. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I think in Lucas's mind, it, it does seem to be something that uh, different people are more naturally adept at. But a big part of it is how seriously do you take it? How much do you work on these skills that like, you know, uh, fate, destiny, biology, whatever has opened the door to you being amazing at this? And now do you go through the door and do the work? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I did look up some George Lucas stuff. Okay. Um, and, and I just decided to pull this chunk of, of Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, I was actually just looking up the midi-chlorians, right? Because that's a, that can kind of get to this, right? It, yeah. Are the midi-chlorians, uh, like Ray is asking in, in their question, are the midi-chlorians just like, it is a blood sample thing. You can sample it. You can count uh, the midi-chlorians. And based on how many you have, that's how adept you are at using the force. And like, it, yeah, mm-hmm. Anakin breaks the record uh, with uh, over 20,000 and Han Solo has a half of one midi-chlorian and that's it. <laughs> Conversation over, right? Yeah. Um, are the midi-chlorians hard science dictating ability or are they the character's attempt to kind of quantify the spiritual uh, so it can be better understood and discussed? All that. That's what I was curious in. But then mm-hmm. I found all this Lucas stuff. Uh, So it starts with a quote, uh, and this is is the Wikipedia article on midichlorians. It is said that certain creatures are born with a higher awareness of the force than humans. Their brains are different. They have more midichlorians in their cells. That is a note that it says was retroactively added by George Lucas to guidelines for the expanded universe. (laughs) Mm. So that's something that, that Lucas said at one point. And that's just a quote to start off this section. Here's kind of a summary of the things that Lucas has said over the years. Um, mm-hmm. Again, reading straight from Wikipedia. Uh, and you can look at the sources yourself and decide whether whether you uh, trust the veracity of Wikipedia. Lucasville maintains that midichlorians were first conceived by George Lucas as early as 1977. However, there is no evidence of this before the publication of The Making of Star Wars in 2007. 
The book's author, Jonathan W. Rinsler, said that Lucas added the passage about the midichlorians in the run-up to the book's publication. Lucas incorporated the explanation of midichlorians into the film as part of Anakin Skywalker's journey towards understanding the Force. When discussing the story treatment for 1983's uh, Return of the Jedi in 1981, and in particular the backstory for Anakin, Lucas implied that the precepts of being a Jedi could be practiced by anyone when comparing it to yoga or karate. So not your basketball quote, but very, very similar. Uh, Then it goes on to say, as recorded in Star Wars, the making of episode one, The Phantom Menace, the midichlorians were incorporated into the film story in the second screenplay draft finished around 1995. In an interview given to Paul Duncan, author of the Star Wars archives book, Mm -hmm. Lucas confirmed that, quote, everyone has the force, uh, unquote, since every single living organism has midichlorians inside their cells. The only difference between Jedi uh, are that the Jedi are trained. So uh, is with many Lucas things, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it has, it, it fluctuates, right? He's talking about it in a couple different ways over time. He's talking about it as, yep, some beings are born more adept. But yes, the force touches everyone and training is really important. So just insert basketball in there, and I'm right. And knowing me, I, I, I might have. I, I'm so bad with quotes. If anyone watched me compete in trivia contests, it, it could have been yoga. Now I just think basketball, and that's not even my favorite sport. Uh, anyways, uh, I love all this stuff, though. So uh, sorry, I, I don't want to cut you off. If you want to follow more on the Lucas stuff, there. That just uh, no. I just wanted. I wanted to kind of put that out there that that Lucas has like some direct quotes, like like telling Paul Duncan, everyone has the force. But then Lucas obviously yeah. has some direct quotes and some storytelling that does uh, make it seem that like your connection to the force is at least partially biological, you know, at least your, your, the potential that you might have is uh, at least biological. So I feel like there is a little, not even contradiction, but a lot of uh, possibility in the quotes that he's given. I I love that, that word possibility and looking at uh, Ray's question and what they've written us here, this, this idea of wielding, like I put in quotes, wielding the force that sometimes Mm. makes me think of, you know, we will make the video game, press an X and you do a force power. And I'm not necessarily saying Ray was intending it just for that, but I started there. So because of that, I think, I think it's truly possible based on like what George is saying, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's there. It's all around us. It binds us. And and, and you all have it. You're all aware. You might be aware of it. Maybe you're Laura Santeca who worships and studies under uh, ideas of the force, but doesn't use it. Maz Kanata. Uh, talks about that, you know, and then of course, even going to Rogue One with uh, Bays and and Chirrut, and another way to look at it. So it's there, and then it got to be thinking of just like beyond, you know. Clearly, there's those with maybe more natural affinity for it, but to get there at, on any level, you have to just be open and learn about not just it, but about yourself, right? So much of what the lesson mm-hmm. like, I think I see in certain, particularly Clone Wars, the Yoda one comes up, right? Even Yoda going, I've done this before. I'm Yoda. Oh, I had to learn a little something about my hubris, my dark side. I had to face mm-hmm. that. So I love this idea that perhaps as these types of students learn more about themselves, then they can learn more about how to use the force and not just sense it. And can they bring down a Star Destroyer? Probably not. But Hopefully no one needs to use that, but it is truly about that. Even Luke, even uh, look when hit the last, you know, act of his life, uh, Kylo Ren saying, Ray, you could, you know, the act would kill you. So there's, there's things to continue uh, to learn, right? You're always going to be learning. You're always going to be moving and growing uh, with the force. Qui-Gon being the first to kind of go, oh, there, I, there's another way to, even after death. So you're always learning, but it begins with what you know about yourself. So if you can start from that point, maybe, maybe the rest won't 
not fall in the place, but you'll start to, uh, I don't know, learn, learn things here and there. Yeah. I mean, I think I love that. I think the, the getting to know yourself through the forest, clearly the light side, it, 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 that opens you up. Right. But even the dark side that you, you're, you're reaching into your own anger, right. To tap into the forest, you're reaching into something that's true. The dark side is, is full of uh, lies and and half truths and manipulations and all that, but that anger, right. That Mm. the fear, those emotions are real and those are are something real that you're drawing on. So I, I love uh, that perspective. And I think that like, even with your piano example, right. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's so much about the training of it, of like, if you look at the piano app and go, I can do this, I might not be the best, but I can do this. Then you, then you might do well. If you look at it and be like, I can't do this. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 If you were to sit down and try to teach me drums, you know, you might say the same thing, but it might be about what I'm not allowing myself to be open to. Yeah. Yeah. I think I definitely wanted to lay out the Lucas stuff. I definitely wanted to get your mm-hmm. thoughts, but I, I think for me, what makes this a fascinating, uh, conversation, a topic and, and what I think makes it kind of personal for fans is that I feel like the morality and the philosophy of star Wars, that everyone matters, that we are all mm-hmm. connected, that the force runs through all things, that it is inside everyone, uh, between everything, that philosophy, that mood, that energy makes me feel like, well, yes, of mm. course, everybody could use the force. Yeah, of course, if Han was able to get past his grump and his doubt and his cynicism, you know, maybe he wouldn't be throwing rocks. Yeah, but maybe he could right. just flick the switch of <laughs> of the Millennium Falcon. Or maybe he could be like, I can't I can't control it, but I feel it now. You know, mm-hmm. now I know that that instinct in my gut sometimes is is the larger galaxy speaking to me. I feel like the philosophy of Star Wars makes me want to go, yes. But when I look at the actual text, the storytelling from the films, the books, the comics, for me, the evidence is that some beings are, yes, more connected to the force than others, that they are born with natural mm-hmm. potential. And like you said, then we have characters like Maz Kanata or, or Chirrut Emwe who can who can feel it and, and maybe touch it just a little bit. Or like in the Catalyst mm-hmm. novel, Lyra Urso kind of yeah. describes herself as just like, force aware. I can't, I cannot control it at all, but I can feel the shifts in, in moods and energy. And I'm aware of it almost like in aura across the galaxy. You know, then we have people who are intensely connected like Yoda and the Skywalkers. And in the high Republic, we even learn that some Jedi are like, I can, I can kind of fly in, or Imri, like I have this specific gift. I can affect people's emotions, but there's this other thing, stuff I can't do. You know, Um, I think there's lots of evidence in the text that uh, some beings are, no matter how much they trained, they would not ever reach the level of a Jedi. Yeah. Mm. How do you feel about that? Just like we looked at Lucas quotes, Mm -hmm. we talked about the philosophy, but then there's actually just analyzing what's on screen, the storytelling. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to find why I like the why of what you're saying and try to explain it. Um, I think there's a tendency, especially we saw this to be a little more direct about it. We saw this come out of last Jedi with Ray, a hero from nowhere who plugs in a larger story. And then a lot of people did butt up against some of the stuff that goes on with nine about, well, I guess she is tied into a bigger family and everything. And I, and I understood that on the flip side, you had Finn whose story in journey in the force is uh, to this point uh, a little cut short because we don't have more yet. And maybe it, it emerged a little bit later, but I think it was always there. So I think I, I get all the sides of it, but I, what I love the, the use of kind of what you're talking about is this great purpose, you know, learn to play piano is one thing, but also just you are connected to the greater p- 
part of the galaxy, you have a position, you have a, uh, call it a power, call it a privilege. And how do you use it? How do you, how do you answer its call? How do you fight its call? Mm. And how does it apply to your own journey? And it's a big, giant fantasy way. It is, it is uh, the sword in the stone. It is all those kind of things and the Campbell of it all and blah, blah, blah. But it's really personal. That's why I think for an entire generation, we always talk, Luke staring out of the twin sons was, I got to get out of Modesto too, man. And I got to find my purpose. And um, no matter what you do, you know, be the best uh, ditch digger in the world, you know, like that old, uh, do that and do it the best you can. You still, that's still a, a, a skill, a position of power, a pr- privilege. And what do you do with that? And I think that might tie into it. Why I personally don't mind that maybe in the galaxy, there's just some people who don't get to touch the force. <laughs> you know, that's not a, if you, if you just focus on that, that might not be a, a wonderful message. Maybe, you know, I can see it. Some, someone going, that's a problem because like you're saying, Star Wars is for everyone. Star Wars is about everyone matter, mattering, the power of Jar Jar, even this mm-hmm. uh, character. So I think it all exists because I just think there's great purpose. That's why I'm trying to come to the why. The why of you are destined uh, or have a choice. Destiny's given you these choices to be great. And what do you do with that greatness? And how does that greatness in Star Wars get pulled out and applied to our own lives? I'm yeah. not a good I night. I can sometimes talk in a mic's okay, but what do I do with that? You know what I mean? No, I mean, we we come very much to the the same place at the end of the day. Like, yeah, mm. I, I do get uh, people, you know, the, the, the symbolic power of uh, somebody who is not connected to the larger story the way it appeared that that was Ray's story in The Last Jedi and having that be important to them and then realizing, oh, it, it is still a story of uh, this great power being passed through uh, genetics, strange genetics when it comes yep. to <laughs> the Palpatine side of the family. I do get those concerns. And like we're talking about on the new show, like, yeah, the Skywalker saga is kind of a dynastic story. It's about the Skywalkers mm-hmm. and the Palpatines. But in in story for me, it's also like, yeah, there there wasn't a line called the Kenobis that just yeah. happened to this guy from Stujan, this guy from nowhere, right? And, yeah. and Mace and Vernestra and everybody you could go through, uh, every Jedi, you know, I think if you're a little, if you spend time a little bit more with the broader storytelling, it's like, the Skywalkers aren't, uh, they're the exception to the rule. They're not the rule, mm-hmm. they're the exception. So like, I think that's one of the reasons that it doesn't bother me as much because I think even if the Force doesn't touch every, uh, it, it does touch every single being, but if it doesn't uh, uh, allow them to access the the abilities uh, as much, it, it's still, it's still it, the overall story of Star Wars is still somebody in the galaxy is just born and they have this connection, you know? Yeah. And it's not yeah. always dynastic. Yeah, yeah, and the, uh, you, I think you mentioned this out uh, this last time out with the with the news episode. We brought it up this week, but yeah, yeah, Luke Luke takes that shot, but he needs Han, the 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 the, yeah. the scrum rat from Corellia to, to be there. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, and and I think uh, I got myself a little sidetracked. I want to go back to the great why yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that you were saying. I think the reason for me that I am okay with. Yep, some people are are born with this really great strong connection to the force some people have a mild one some people you know can maybe kind of feel it but they're never going to be throwing rocks the reason that i am okay with that is the why at the end of the day for me the force is a metaphor uh mm-hmm. for listening to our instincts for valuing our connection to others for uh discovering our truest selves like you were saying and then how do i use those instincts those truths to tap into my fullest abilities, uh, you know, how do I train myself to hone those abilities? And then once I do have uh, all of, of these abilities honed, 
how do I use them for the best good? Like to me, that's the metaphor of the force. And I think when I think about it that way, it the, the force is, is kind of a metaphor for a gift. And I think it doesn't bother me that people have different gifts because I think we all do in real life, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, Han and Luke are both heroes, right? Ray and Rose Tico are both heroes. Um, uh, Rose just made this choice to get involved and used these gifts and skills that she had, you know, uh, to oh. contribute to the fight. What defines the characters in Star Wars is uh, not is sometimes their abilities, but often it is the choice of how to use the skills, regardless of what mm-hmm. skills they have. So whenever this conversation comes up, you know, you're talking about your, your skills on a microphone, (laughs) you know, that maybe that's something that maybe comes to you a little bit more easily for whatever reason, whether it's biology or the way you were raised. The truth is probably by the time you were about six, you were, you were better on the microphone than maybe another friend. Right. Uh, And then you, and then you trained and honed that. And I think for me, I see that in uh, a positive way of, we all have different skills and asking ourselves, you know, what are our Jedi skills in, in real life and how can they make your own life better? How can they make the mm-hmm. communities you're a part of better? How do you benefit from the people around you having different skills than, than you do? Right. And when I look at it that way, I'm like, there's no problem that Han can't throw a rock. Mm-hmm. He has different skills than Luke. He has different skills than Leia and he chooses to use them for good. And that is ultimately to me a, a beautiful picture, not a picture where Han is losing out on something. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and um, at the risk of uh, going straight into episode nine again, uh, stop me, stop me before I heard again, Joseph. No, uh, <laughs> like I, I, again, I, I acknowledge that the Finn storyline doesn't work for everybody. And then it, it's, I hope, I hope it goes on. Right. I hope, mm-hmm. I hope a book comic. Otherwise we get to get more of it. Lego adventure films that we've seen, seen some of the most post Jedi or rise of Skywalker, uh, Finn force stuff. I love what it ends up representing this feeling and this feeling that pushes you to do something. And, and you don't immediately know what to do with it. In fact, he runs away several times until one, a connection with one person leads to a connection with a bigger cause and more people. And then he's the one trying to hold everyone together. And it all begins on this feeling and we attach it to the force and he hasn't uh, pulled out his own lightsaber yet and wielded and this and that. And, and I believe one day Finn would become, a, will become a, a, a new Jedi Knight. But I love what that represents because to me, it's the opposite of what you and I have talked about um, with Palpatine and this little detail of he'll track you down. If you fudge a form, he wants you on the bad side because, you know, you, you, you have a crack in your morality. It's mm-hmm. the opposite of that. And, and that's that's why I think it's still, you know, I don't maybe I'm too far off the path of race question here. Uh, this is a wonderful question of of um, you can learn to wield it. You can learn skills, but it all begins with that feeling. And that feeling in Star Wars is attached to this, call it a greater good, but whatever you want to use that and apply to your own life, morality, spirit, whatever, God, doesn't matter to me. But it's those choices you make every day, the big questions in Star Wars. So that's why, truly, once again, everyone's journey has value to me in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really, really agree with that. And I think Ray's question is great, and it can be looked at as a question of just like, how do you interpret the storytelling of of Star mm-hmm. Wars, or like Ray says, just uh, uh, 
Ray, the question asker, uh, is it hard coded? Yes or no for force powers, just based on genetics. And I think it's really important to talk about it as a analysis interpretation of the storytelling text of Star Wars. But the reason the question matters is what does that mean to how we interpret Star Wars and and how, how we, is it a good lesson? Do we give it value? And I think everything that you're saying about Finn uh, it is one of those things that makes me feel like, yeah, the story is uh, everyone has different gifts. Even within the Force, everyone maybe has different abilities. And mm-hmm. it, that's the thing that makes it beautiful to me is everybody making the choice to use whatever skills they have uh, to be their truest selves, uh, to help others, to be a part of the community, and to reach out for help when somebody else has a skill that they don't, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's okay. Yeah. And and all of it pointing toward this this true north of of empathy and, and compassion and all the things that Star Wars preaches in there. That's how you measure whether I think you're using that skill right. Because <laughs> there's sometimes you get some feelings that aren't the ones you need to follow. And I think that's built into those lessons there for me as well. Yeah, and I think for me uh, the a lot of the big climactic moments of Star Wars, Return of the Jedi and Rise of Skywalker in particular, are like yes the the big title Skywalker force user has the potential to make a big difference because of uh, their power. Um, but also it's always a team win, right? You know, yeah. uh, Ray's blocking that lightning. So everybody else who made a brave, strong choice with the skills that they have can make a difference. Yeah. 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 And as far as, you know, hard coded, yes or no, again, I don't think this is specifically what Ray is asking, but it's like, if, if, if you look at the force like that, if you look as it as a level up or a power up, we can use a video game analogy again and again and again. But if that's the way you see it, maybe you stop at that door. I can understand, too, where you're like, well, it is yes or it is, you know, and that's the only thing you got because uh, you either know know how to move those rocks or you don't, where I think the force is bigger than that. I, I really think it's always, always been bigger than that. And that's what Joe, Jan Dodonna says, may the force be with us because we're all out there. You're all f- you're all flying these X-wings or Y-wings uh, because you're connected to the greater good. And you're making a great cause. And that's that's something the light side of the force wants you to do. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe after this conversation, maybe after reading the Lucas quotes, maybe my my official answer will be like, yes, absolutely. The force touches uh, everyone, uh, but people experience it in different ways. And one mm-hmm. of the big ways to experience it is this sort of full interaction of being a Jedi and a Sith. Uh, but that doesn't mean that other people don't interact with it in lots of different uh, ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ray, for the very thoughtful and intriguing question. We're going to go now to Matt. Matt says, at the end of episode four of Kenobi, Leia and Obi-Wan have an emotional holding of hands after both experienced a tough series of events. Who in that moment do you think needed the hand holding more? It's a it's a just a straight up uh, hand holding battle. Who needs the, the release more, Ken? Look, tough series of events is uh, <laughs> uh, me not having enough spinach at my Subway sandwich order and then uh, the drink prices being up. That's a, that's a series of events. Yeah, they go through a lot. This is a great question, Matt. Uh, watch the end of this episode again and try to try to break it down. I think the cheat, the cheat answer is both do, right? <laughs> I think it's that. But I tried to like almost again go to you know, my, my, my sports love inside. I almost went, went to like uh, the late great John Madden on a telestrator screen. I was like, boom, let me stop the, let me stop you here. And here's the, let me break down the play. I think Leia feels the need for comfort herself. I think that's what's going on. She's, she's just been through this horrific thing uh, and been rescued, which is, is kind of crazy. A lot of, you know, not a, not a normal day for old Leia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And she, I think the whole scene to me kind of, I interpret it as, as starting, uh, I'm scared. I need, I need comfort. And, 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 and she looks out and the focus and the camera and the shot is look, her looking out at seeing other people. Uh, Tala and Sully are the ones right in front of her. Uh, they need comfort as well. Then that causes her to sense that Kenobi needs comfort and then she provides it. But in doing so, she gets the comfort she needs back, right? Then the hand, the hand touches is returned. So drawing strength from the empathy, she's giving Kenobi. Uh, and then from that, the connection that has been formed now then drives her forward. So I think that's why that all leads to both of them need it. Um, and dare I say, Kenobi would appreciate it. It's a symbiotic circle. You must <laughs> You must see a handhold is a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Uh, I think that is the correct answer. Hey, say, you you can tell me this, Ken. Sometimes even in sports, there's a tie, right? <laughs> Sometimes. it dep- Yeah. So then we'll go to a shootout. It's a shootout between Leia and, and Kenobi's empathy here. Has there ever been a boxing match where the two opponents did knock each other out at the exact same moment with two punches? <laughs> Uh, to my knowledge in boxing, I don't know. I hope so now. Maybe as a fun pro wrestling uh, spot might, <laughs> might, might happen, but uh, boxing, I, I don't know. I feel like it would be famous if it had happened just naturally and organically. Uh, I'm joking a little bit uh, because yeah. I really do feel like my true answer is that they both needed it equally. They had both been through trauma. Uh, they were both, I think, finding their footing. Leia on her first journey into the galaxy that she already had studied so much and knew so much about, but now she was experiencing it. Uh, you know, just earlier she had been like, the Empire does try to help, though, and turns out, nope, here is a secret torture facility that you get to be in, you know, mm-hmm. young child. Um, here's the trauma that all these other families are going through. Uh, you know, Obi-Wan uh, taking this first step out in a long time, discovering uh, that Anakin is still alive and absolutely hates him and mm-hmm. the absolute fear the deep, deep fear of failing Leia, you know? Um, I think they're both in trauma and they both are people who naturally value the strength that comes from connection, right? I think what is powerful about the scene is uh, what you were saying, Ken. Uh, Leia has the intuition and the courage to initiate it, right? Mm -hmm. It It is a young leader moment for Leia. She is looking around and she is seeing what everybody is going through. She is sensitive to it. Uh, She is including herself, right? Uh, And then trying to give the team what they need, but in particular Kenobi, right? Um, To see that he's in so much pain and to reach out is both her saying, I see you're in pain, but her also saying, and it would help me if you held my hand. Um, I also just think there's a dynamic where Obi-Wan comes to her rescue uh, you know, on Dio, they, they, or Dio, they have their conflict, right? Where she's not sure whether to trust him. And so there's a little bit of like, um, I don't know, there's a little bit of like in, in adult child and child sort of dynamic in this mm-hmm. moment for me too, where like, um, I have had interactions where a, a parent has like told a child to greet me and hug me. And I'm always like, no. Only if you want. This is this is a child choice for me. And uh, uh, apologies for wandering into a <laughs> complex parenting issue. I'm talking about my own life experience. Like, Obi-Wan is there for Leia. That's his whole thing, right? He wants to be there for Leia. But Leia's had a kind of like, I'm not sure about you. Okay, I am kind of sure about you. Okay, I'm not sure about you. And it's really her saying, "Right, I see you want to be here for me. 
and I want that too. This is my agency to initiate this, right? You would probably offer this to me, but you're not entirely sure if I want it. And I am telling you, yes, I do want this moment of connection, you know, in this way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it all runs pretty true for Leia as a character, building back to some of the stuff that built the character New Hope and beyond. But it, it should, that's why I think it's, yeah, it's a beautiful building block for that character too. Yeah, it really is. It's a great, great moment in the show. Any uh, final thoughts before we take a quick break? No, no, worth a rewatch too. Uh, thanks for the question, Matt. Uh, not just that episode, but that moment. Um, you know, I'm joking about breaking it out like sports footage, but yeah, it's it's just very clear. It's what it's a lot of what's being communicated, right? Is is her face looking out uh, and seeing uh, who else needs help, and that's such a, a Leia thing, and I love it. Yeah, Leia saves the day with a nice, kind handhold. Very, very awesome. We are going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with two more questions from our patrons on Patreon. Back in a moment. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And we are back to continue attempting to A the cues of the Force. We'll see if we do a good job with our A's. We're going to our patrons on Patreon. And first up, Lightspeed Bear, <laughs> which is a phenomenal uh, username. Uh, here we go. Here's what Lightspeed Bear has to say. Hey, Force Center, first time writing in. I always try and stay positive and have been a big fan of almost all of Disney Star Wars to date, but I was wondering your thoughts on something that's been bugging me for a while. I, like a lot of people, adore The Mandalorian, but why is it that the dialogue on the show and the Book of Boba Fett is often so stiff to the point of being a distraction? It reminds me of the famous Harrison Ford line from the original trilogy, George, you can write this bleep, but you can't say it. Going beyond the spoken words themselves, a lot of the side characters seem wooden and lacking in much personality. Fennec, a prime example. There are exceptions, of course, Pelly, Mayfield, uh, Mayfeld, uh, but on the whole, I'm having a tough time relating to characters in the Mandoverse, a stark contrast to Kenobi, where I found the side characters felt much more real and expressive. Am I alone in thinking this? And more importantly, do you think there's a reason for it? Is it a Favreau Filoni thing? Again, I don't mean to uh, put a downer on things, but just something that's been on my mind. Keep up the great work. I thought your panel with Star Wars Explained at Celebration was great fun. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you, uh, Lightspeed Bear, for the question and uh, for for coming to us with something you're wrestling with, which we are, are totally okay with. We're always happy to dive into strong opinions. I think we always try to talk about them as opinions. You know, for Lightspeed Bear, uh, Fennec Shand is, is coming off as wooden, and that's valid because that's his uh, reaction to the show. Uh, but Fennec uh, might not come off as wooden to other viewers happy always to discuss it but we also want to make sure that we're trying to discuss it uh that clearly as as opinions and as different points of view unless something is a is a hard fact that can be looked up and and verified all right ken oh no 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 just i'm spitting once again hard facts on that no i 100 percent agree um 100 agree uh across many films and shows in star wars it it can change for me even yeah, right, right. Uh, all right, so let's get into this, though. I, I think that uh, Lightspeed Bear does bring up something that I think uh, I've expre- heard, heard fans express, that there is a certain, there's a distinctive style to The Mandalorian and to the Book of Boba Fett and why uh, the dialogue and some of the characterizations are this uh, sort of a blunt minimalism. Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that when you watch the shows? Do you think it exists? And why, and if so, what do you make of it? I, I um I hundred percent think it exists and and to to light speed bear uh, I I hear you and and I actually agree with you in, in a lot of ways um and it's it's just such a, a Star Wars thing uh, you know there you go there's my very specific uh, thought it's a Star Wars thing uh, <laughs> but it's, it Star Wars just kind of remains honest to itself right and and what it's trying to do and this goes to original trilogy you know which if you go back and watch it it wasn't as smooth as i thought it was as a kid and mm-hmm. there you go you got harrison's comments on that famously we got the prequels uh come along with a different style and then george uh, at several points has tried to say well no no it's somewhat intentional and and i've even heard jokes about sure george sure george uh, you, you're trying to cover up some stuff but I, you watch the prequels it, it stays true to itself. And I think more than maybe some of the other Star Wars creators right now, Favreau and, and, and Filoni, but Favreau are trying to stay true to that in, in some ways. I haven't heard a specific quote. I didn't look it up from Favreau himself. 
Um, and so I rub up against it sometimes, even myself, even have a, what, what I think is an understanding of, of this. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a mythic feel. It's, it's a Western. It's, it's a fairy tales, all those kind of things that we know star Wars to be. And it's not a straightforward presentation. Uh, you know, look, Poe po Dameron says big ass door and the world falls apart. Right. For, for, <laughs> for a little bit of the discourse. Um, I think it, I think, um, no, did through the ages, whether it's the seventies, which again, we're coming out of, uh, you know, everyone always said French connection, Chinatown, you, you got that kind of gritty realism and then comes, you know, uh, star Wars with, you know, no disco soundtrack. We got a orchestra, like it, it stays true to what it wants to do. Then, then in the prequel era, a different style, different style of movie. This is the Tarantino era. This is the Kevin Smith era. I was in film school during that time, but that's all we talked about. And that's all the dialogue you wanted to write. And then you've got, Phantom Menace comes along and it ain't that <laughs> it ain't that <laughs> and, and now you got this and and I think even sometimes seven eight and nine have those moments maybe even seven where I wanted it to be I sometimes I just wanted it to be a little different a little a little more looser you know what I mean? but but it 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 isn't that I think Solo and Rogue One sometimes fall in different spots and I'm, I'm rambling at this point but Andor I think is going to be completely different in a gear shift but I still think it's going to be Star Wars and I think that's where it starts for me we can keep talking about it um, it is a choice and I think it's there. Part of it, part of it is honoring the style and presentation of what came before. So therefore I can dig it. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I also want to say, I, I think Clone Wars has its own style at times too. It's definitely Star Wars and it's definitely Filoni doing that. But I think Star Wars is, or Clone Wars is a little more quote real and looser at times, if that makes sense. But anyway, so I guess I'm putting it all the blame on Favreau. Is that what I'm doing? Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think it, I, I think about it from the character perspective and from the style perspective. So I, I love everything you're saying about style. So so let's go into style and then we can yeah. talk character. Um, yeah, I think uh, Lucas across many different interviews is a fan of uh, blunt dialogue, right? I mean, he Lucas is somebody who's like, exposition isn't a problem as long as it's interesting exposition. Here's one of the most famous scenes of, of Star Wars is uh, the hut scene. In A mm -hmm. New Hope, where Obi-Wan Kenobi just explains Star Wars to Luke Skywalker for five minutes straight, right? Yeah. Um, and and it, it, that would get dinged in most modern storytelling writing for just being, you know, too much exposition, right? Um, but Lucas is a fan of that kind of, uh, of exposition, of characters saying exactly what they mean. I think because he understands how Han saying some gibberish about some parts of a spaceship that you've never heard about I think Lucas understands why that's exciting. And I think his mm -hmm. his frustration sometimes with actors is like, it's all right there in the line. Can't you <laughs> yeah. see how exciting it would be for a, a scoundrel to say that, oh, my, my clunky old ship isn't working. And yeah. he doesn't understand why an actor can't immediately understand the intent behind that bit of very direct dialogue, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think there is this legacy of Star Wars that has uh, some blunt, stylized dialogue and then, you know, the kind of the warmth and the humanity uh, that uh, some of the characters have. And I think the original trilogy is really a mix in dialogue style of very heightened, very mythic, um, yeah. very, you know, uh, 1940s serial uh, kind of straightforward. I'm just spewing weird science fiction facts with all the warmth and the humanity and the jokes that came into the original trilogy. So I feel like if you look at the original trilogy as a map, mm -hmm. it's both kind of styles uh, there, there's a spectrum of styles in there 
in The Mandalorian, I think it is very much on purpose. I think it starts with Favreau since the idea started with Favreau. I think Filoni can absolutely do it when he wants to and when he thinks it's appropriate. I think there is a style of blunt minimalism. Mm. And I think it comes a little bit to me from, and I'm I'm just totally spitballing. Uh, This is just opinion stuff, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not secrets. Uh, I think, you know, Favreau has said that he is wants the Mandalorian to be inspired by the stuff that inspired George Lucas to make Star Wars. Yeah. You know, Cobb Vanth going, think it through, think it through, right? That's straight out of an old Western, right? Yeah. Uh, Mandalorian and uh, and Ahsoka, um, or even sometimes Luke, uh, uh, talking in a very d- distinct, blunt way. But in particular, like Mando and, and Ahsoka walking into town and just saying, here's exactly what I want what I will, what I expect of you and the exact kind of violence I will respond with if you do not do what I ask. That is just like some like, that's samurai stuff, right? Mm. Uh, it's so in that mold of like, the the way, you know, Din talks is really in this, you know, I tell you that I am on a quest. I want this. If I do not receive this, here will be the reaction, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's all kind of coming from a, a specific kind of storytelling. And for me, I think that, the Mandalorian has a, you know, a ton of emotion, what's going on between Din and Grogu and all of these things. And it's meant to hit this sort of sweet spot of emotional realism and mythic fantasy. So I absolutely think it's there in the Mandalorian book of Boba Fett. And I think it's a stylistic choice Mm. as well as a character choice. Yeah. Yeah. And we can slide into the characters here, but it's funny, my reaction to uh, like episode one of Mandalorian wasn't it wasn't negative at all but i just you clearly seen what you and i were talking about or what, what is uh being asked here of like okay that is they're they're making some choices <laughs> they're clearly mm-hmm. making some choices uh and that's uh what they're going on and then you come to uh pelly i'm an amy sedaris fan you were I, I, even off air i was like why well, it seemed like she was in a different show to me at times right and and mm-hmm. since then i've just gotten used to what they do there yeah makes mayfeld slightly different and definitely a boston accent has been uh, pointed out many many times there but even <laughs> uh you got uh, horatio sands at the beginning he's he's doing kind of the befuddled uh almost a uh, mumble core comedy kind of vibe like there's a lot of different styles so that does does kind of remain distinct to the, the individual characters and so the ones that might still speak in those kind of uh, rigid uh ways a little bit more of that rigid cadence uh, it, it, it does come off even more intentional the boba fett uh, i mean that just kind of tracks for boba fett uh mm-hmm. but anyways yeah I'm, I'm spitballing too but um uh yeah it, it, I, i'm taking myself back to 2019 going i don't know how much i like that and i think i came around on it and it's just because you know you see it and you live with it every week and i think because din is so good i think it's a well use of the style for din yeah yeah so uh yeah stylistically yeah i think it's within the spectrum of star wars for sure but then i when i really look at it and and thanks to lightspeed bear for for um mm-hmm. you know taking me down this path to, to really look at this i think part of it is that a lot of these characters are not expressive that's who they are din jarn mm-hmm. isn't somebody who's like makes right. jokes din jarn is probably not like a big fan of going to the uh, a, a birthday party <laughs> you know <laughs> you know he probably doesn't want to shoot the bleep at the bar right yeah um you know a lot of these characters were not raised to be expressive din jarn was literally to our knowledge raised in a fundamentalist community where a lot of communication was repeating lines of dogma back and forth to one another to say mm-hmm. this is the way when you are when you are raised to speak with um, we have these hardcore beliefs 
We do not deviate from them. In fact, a good chunk of our conversation is a call and response where you validate that you still believe the thing that we all said we believed. And then you go out in the, in the galaxy, you know, you're not going to be just like throwing a little bombas over your shoulder, you know, at cocktail parties. That's <laughs> who the character is. And I think like he, he was raised to speak that way. So he's like, I, I don't, I don't think Din has a ton of experience of like, how do I graciously sort of start a conversation with a stranger, BS about the weather, and then kind of drop it in that I'm on a quest to return this youngling to his. He's just direct as hell because he's raised that way. That's how you start a conversation with a transaction. What do you want? You know, what are you going to make me do to give me what I want? I think it's a great way to look at it. It's also me trying to explain to my mom that emails don't need to begin with the dear son, you know, or a text <laughs> message. Like it, it's different now. Yeah, no, I think that works uh, for a lot of those characters. And again, same, same with Boba Fett. I think it, it really kind of tracked with uh, uh, the, the, whoever was doing the voice, but the, the voice I heard in Empire, it's the same kind of like, that's, that's him. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Boba was raised tight-lipped by a tight-lipped dad, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you don't need to say much. Everybody knows what you think. Don't worry. You, you know, your actions speak louder than words. Show people who you are. Don't talk about it. Just do what you need to do, right? Um, and I, and, it, and uh, for me, I think uh, Fennec really works for me because I think she is also someone who I feel like her history, her culture, her life experiences lead her to be somebody who speaks softly seldom talks means exactly what she says when she says it. Uh, and it kind of, you know, uh, speak softly and carry several long blasters <laughs> and knives that you speak with. And I think for, for Fennec, for me, she communicates a lot more with her eyes and her body language. Right. Mm -hmm. And in it, it, particularly in book of Boba Fett, when, when her and Boba have made this bond, they have had this very sort of rigid, all right, I pledge myself to you. All right, I'm not sure about this new direction you're trying, but I pledge to support you, so I will follow you on this pledge. There's a vibe to me in her in, in Book of Boba Fett that she is somebody who is just opening up to the possibility of trust, right? Mm -hmm. The possibility that you can say true, relaxed human things and they might not accidentally be used as a weapon against you <laughs> mm -hmm. because you can trust the person you're with doesn't want to kill you, right? <laughs> yeah. That to me is, is Fennec's vibe. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree that has to talk and I'm trying to like, I'm trying to take myself back to that Bad Batch episode and was there any, uh, you know, a, a strong connection there and not just, there's a lot of, uh, about the character that's obviously the same. I'm not talking about that, but just, yeah, yeah, see how, how it lines up and I think it does and I think it tracks for these kind of characters that just, I think going to the overall, going back a little bit to that for me it, and to Lights Me Bear's question, again, this is all very intentional and it's all very true to itself and not the styles of the time. And and you you make the, you know, Marvel is, it's modern day New York and we're all going to have shawarma and fight and we're going to talk like we do. Like, that's just what they have done. And I don't know if that's true. You know, the comics, 75 plus almost 80 years of history of comics or whatever the number will be. I'm sure the style has changed of dialogue and comics over the years to the time. Um, where Star Wars is 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 going to remain true to itself uh, again. So, yeah. In, in, in a way, I think that's a great example of like, there is this, uh, uh, this wide variety in pulps, like the, the revolution of the Marvel comics when they came out is that the characters led real true lives. So you did have Spider-Man joking about, you know, the music he was listening to, or, you know, making a pop culture joke. I have an issue of the Avengers from the eighties where they go on Dave Letterman's show. Like that's <laughs> that 
connection to grounded and real has always been part of Marvel, but you still have characters like Dr. Doom who only refers to himself <laughs> in the third yeah. person pretty much. And just says, here's what doom needs. Here's what doom will get. Uh, and you do have lengthy, uh, just sort of science fiction gobbledygook. You kind of have all of that stuff in pulp. And I feel like it's all represented in different amounts in star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating. It rears its head in other spots. You know, I'm a big Lord of the Rings game of Thrones fan and they have their own styles. I was, uh, I just, I don't mean to take any shots across the bow, but uh, Grace, my, my fiance had uh, Witcher on the other day and, and I didn't like, I literally was like, I don't like a lot of the dialogue presentation of this. It sounds too modern. It sounds mm. too much like now versus whatever this is supposed to be. And I, I, there's nothing about the quality of the show. I didn't watch it. She loved it. Uh, and I'm a big fan of Henry Cavill. So please, no one come at me. No one come at me. <laughs> I it just, I remember thinking, I'm sitting there in the, making food in the kitchen. I'm like, I just, I don't like the way it doesn't sync up for me. Again, that's a very personal thing. So anyways, it, it, it's it's a fascinating look of, of how, how to write these big modern fantasy uh, myths, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I just want to acknowledge one other thing here that Lightspeed Bear brought up is that there are the, the different characters. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the overall tone of Mandalorian Book of, of Boba Fett, the, the Mandoverse, is a little bit more uh, blunt minimalism because I think most of our lead characters are communicating with one another that way. But then the, the characters in the Mandoverse who are a little bit more human and flowing, like Peli and Mayfield and Grief Karga, you know, it's loud and gregarious. I think that that's because it's who they are, right? Um, yeah. uh, they all use a flood of words to get what they want, right? Or to yeah. charm, right? Uh, Pelly is trying, usually trying to hoodwink people <laughs> yeah, yeah. into into buying her wares, and and Mayfeld's poking everybody, right? He wants to just kind of hit you with a barrage of words to to get at you know uh, mm -hmm. what's your deal, you know, make you question yourself and defend yourself. Grief Karga's like he's a business guy; he's practically mm -hmm. selling printing the way he's like Mando. They all hate you. You landed the big contract, you mm -hmm. know, like the characters. I guess for me, uh, the point of all that is it makes it feel like this is a stylistic choice because some characters speak like this, other characters don't. And at the end of the day, it's what makes me enjoy it because it feels very purposeful. Uh, and I also understand if somebody's like, we're now we're spending a lot of time with, uh, with tight-lipped people and the overall presentation leaves me a little cold because mm -hmm. I want that warmth. You know, I want Han and, and Leia bickering and bantering. And I got uh, Boba Fett and, and Fennec kind of... Uh, choosing one or two words as they quietly eat dinner together <laughs> yeah you know yeah. i get that that stylistic difference might not be for everyone yeah no no look even the season two bo katan shows up and uh yeah uh, grace again too was like why is she talking like that she asked me and i had to do that <laughs> well it, it's it's a she's it's her animated character and, and katie's doing that version of you know so and, and she ended up you know likes the character it's not something that's going to hold you up but yeah again it's um I get it. I, I, I get it to, to there's, there's a pacing energy. Sometimes that's a little different in these shows. And, 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 and I initially wasn't expecting that going back to kind of the initial parts of the conversation. So I, that's why I rubbed up against it a little bit, but I, uh, I think at the end of the day, I really, I really like what those shows do, but I'm excited to see what Andor's going to do at the time of this recording. I haven't seen the episodes. I don't know, but give every indication it's going to be similar to Rogue One, which had its own kind of, distinct style but you know saw speaks the way saw speaks for sure oh yeah the cadence saw chooses to speak yeah i'm very excited for andor to see if it is if it's a you know grounded uh, gritty people who know each other well who kind of hold nothing back that kind of yeah. thing uh will be really really intriguing to me 
uh, to see all of these different styles uh, of dialogue. So thank you very much for the question, Lightspeed Bear. Shall we move on to our final question, Ken? Let's do it. All right. This comes to us from Stephen Campbell. Uh, Stephen says, hey, Force Center, thanks as always uh, for the incredible content, keeping a wandering. Oh, you know what? Uh, I I wrote down the wrong name. I'm going to read the question and then I will have the correct name. Uh, Here we go. Hey, Force Center, thanks as always for the incredible content, keeping a wandering writer, wrestler, well-fed with Star Wars thoughts and goodness during these difficult times. At the risk of getting too deep in real, what do you think about the role that Star Wars plays, has played, will continue to play as acting as a light shining on the world we live in today? Obviously, we know the original trilogy in many ways uh, was George's response and feelings in regards to Nixon, Watergate, Vietnam, plus the prequels had some interesting parallels to Reaganism, Bushisms, etc., Obviously, art's job is to imitate life, to show us sides of ourselves in reflections of characters and scenarios and more. Of course, this leads to awesome discourse within society where people take umbrage, (laughs) seeing themselves cast as villains when they believe themselves to have heroic leanings. Seeing deep-seated beliefs thrown up as things to be cautious of in the galaxy far, far away and more. So basically, the simple question is, what role should Star Wars take in shining a light on the world that surrounds us, binds us together? Is there a role? Should Star Wars stick to pew-pews and simple <laughs> storytelling, or should it remain a parable for our times? To Joseph, Ken, Jennifer, and the rest of the Force Center family, may the Force be with you. Uh, Ken, what is your beginning salvo? How do you begin to answer that question? <laughs> How do we begin? Um, man, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say this, and I say it often. Uh, Star Wars needs to show us what is possible. And what could be. And that's always my starting point. Um, it does that by sometimes digging in pretty specifically or with still a, spe- a specific wide brush. I think, George, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. Uh, there's a book out uh, now called The History and Politics of Star Wars. This is from Chris Kempshaw. And I want to shout out the Star Wars 7x7 podcast. Alex Voivod over there was listening to, uh, uh, excuse me, Adam. I think he said Alex. Adam. Um, uh, uh, oh gosh, now I totally blanked on his name and I apologize because uh, I listened. Uh, Star 7x7 pod- podcast, uh, Alan Voivod. Um, fascinating stuff uh, from the author, Chris, Chris uh, Kempshaw, who's a historian and looking up George quotes and even some Filoni quotes and saying, you know, it's so funny. A lot of times they say, we're not doing anything specific and it's tough to believe them. <laughs> It's really tough to believe them. So uh, fascinating, um, fascinating starting point for me. And I'll I'll kick it back to you before we dive into details there. Yeah. And this question uh, comes to us, of course, from Adam Knight, uh, writer, wrestler, a well-fed Star Wars fan. Adam has a lot of uh, great questions for us. Uh, Pulling back the curtain, I apologize. Sometimes I'm putting these, uh, these things together fast when I'm getting ready to go to a convention. And I fail to switch out the name from last week to properly... A tribute. So apologies, Adam, and thank you so much for this great question. Uh, diving in here, um, I think Star Wars storytelling will always be inspired by our times. I think most storytelling is, even if you don't realize it, even if you're just trying to make something for fun, you're just you're still responding to whatever culture you're you're telling it in. Even if you're trying to tell like the safest, cutest joke, there'll still be some element of our cultural agreement in our cultural yeah. knowledge in those jokes, right? Uh, the, the the sound a cow makes could could be you know the joke that what what sound does a cow make and then going bah like a goat one mm-hmm. could argue that is cultural depending on what animals yeah. you are aware of and when, when what noise your your culture assigns to the animal right yeah um 
So I think Star Wars story storytelling is always going to be inspired by our times. And I think the storytelling is always going to be inherently political because it's war. It's in the title, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's different factions with different philosophies. Even if you aren't dealing with a huge, big war, uh, even something like Mandalorian that's taking place in a time where there isn't a large galactic conflict, right? It's still... Mm-hmm different communities in different cultures with different points of view, right? A big part of what's going on is Mando realizing that he doesn't even have the full picture of what his culture is, that there's more points of view on what it is to be a Mandalorian than he was aware of. So mm-hmm. I think it's always going to reflect our times. I think it's yeah. always going to be a pol- be political. And the question to me is how explicit is it tied to the modern um, whether there's like literal references uh, to things that you can go, yeah, that's pulling from from right now. Mm-hmm. Or if the conflict going on between two space communities is like a socioeconomic thing that's like, yep, that exact thing is happening right now. It's an evergreen problem in cultures, but yeah. it, it's really flaring up or being examined or being discussed right now. That's the interesting question to me is is how explicit to be, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, we can make jokes about Lucas quoting, um, you know, presidents in office uh, <laughs> in his movies, but also he does have the quotes of saying, you know, it, it, I don't have them in front of me, but just it, it is an, it is an evergreen problem. So, no, I'm not doing something. It might start specifically for me or the time of the film, but I do have to work to keep it wide enough that this is going to replay time and time again, unless maybe you make some better choices. So because I think um, going into what kind of responsibility or what kind of, uh, you know, how should Star Wars, um, what's its role? I I think because Star Wars is often about finding hope in the fears, we say light and dark times, it exists in large part to be a roadmap to get to those possibilities. So no matter what the road is, uh, going to the evergreen kind of side of it there. So, yeah, sometimes if you're really listening, you might find that you're not on the the road you thought you were, at least from Star Wars point of view. And not everything is always a one to one comparison and situation in life. I get that. But I think Star Wars needs to keep that in mind, that even mm-hmm. though it's of its time, it has this bigger purpose of, of a roadmap to hope. And, and how you get there is uh, made with uh, a lot of wonderful or tough choices. Yeah, yeah. Roadmap to Hope is is great. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to pull up the specific uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, direct, not direct, uh, direct paraphrasing mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> of the sitting U.S. president at the time. And this is kind of a great example of what we're talking about. Like all, all of the sort of ideas that Star Wars might reflect in the real world are things that have been going on for a long time. Yeah, I found a, a, a Wikipedia article and the Wikipedia article is about the sentiment, the belief, the political statement, if you're not with me, you're against me. And in the Wikipedia article, it bullet points uh, President George W. Bush in an address to a joint session of Congress on 20th September 2001 said, every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. And then in, of course, episode three, Revenge of Sith, Anakin Skywalker tells Obi-Wan Kenobi that if you are not with me, then you are my enemy. Uh, you know, 2001 to, you know, being made in 2003, 2004, uh, released in 2005. Uh, when I was sitting in the theater, that moment was both about what is the overall philosophical idea? What are you saying when you're saying, if you're not with me, you're against me? And also I was like, wow, Darth Vader just <laughs> quoted the sitting president. So it affected me in that moment in both. It is explicit. It is contemporary, but it's also offering me to think about 
who who wields that kind of philosophy and what do they want when they wield it? And are they right to wield it that way? Yeah. The big why behind it, right? The big why. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just kind of fascinated with that of like the, you know, I, I think there are plenty of people who, who watch Revenge of the Fifth and that, that maybe doesn't resonate with them because it hadn't been a, a, you know, political discussion in the real world yeah, as yeah. it was at that time, that exact phrase uh, or variations thereof. Um, mm. In in that question of like it, okay it's it's political because it's it's about you know the 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 phrase if you're not with me you're against me is a political phrase right yeah yeah uh, and that question of is it does Star Wars storytelling serve itself by making more explicit connections to the contemporary or keeping it a little bit more evergreen yeah I, I think it's um, Star Wars uniquely plays to a lot of interests right there's a lot of play whether those interests are playing with toys. Um, Plain army. That was mine. I always talk about how, you know, I love the the rebellion versus the empire more than maybe some of the Jedi stuff that comes from, I was given a toy gun and put out into a field and go play army with your friends. Right. Mm-hmm. Race. Uh, so there was that. And then you might like the elaborate costumes. You like the cool designs for armor ships. You might want to become um, a scientist because of star Wars. Uh, but you might also be someone that's drawn to the swashbuckling adventures and fast cars like George. It's all of it. <laughs> all of it matters. And no matter what brought you in and, and keeps you there, you, you can find it um, there. So Star Wars has to play on that. But then I, I just go to the the roots. I mean, when I say play on that, meaning, you know, a lot of people come to this table for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but the the genesis of Star Wars was, we, we, we always talk about it, but it, it is both George wanting to do Flash Gordon, but not getting the rights. All right, I'll do my own. But at the same time, was following going to follow up American Graffiti with Apocalypse Now. <laughs> <laughs> he and Kurtz, you know, the, the, I mean, American Graffiti comes out of uh, Coppola telling George, you know, don't lose this money with uh, TH and go write a comedy, go write a coming of age comedy and, uh, you know, uh, and do something else. And I love that there's this George decides, you know, instead of doing that, let me try to reach oh, maybe a, not just a wider audience, but different generations time and time again with this bigger sweeping tale and, and, and put all of it in there whether it's evergreen or whether it's specific to Nixon, as he said in exact quotes, everyone knows mm-hmm. about the Vietnam Endor comparisons. Uh, so I think it, it, Star Wars has that responsibility to to hit all of it. And you describe it a lot as attention, right? A wonderful, mm-hmm. <laughs> just attention, a wonderful, delicate ecosystem that needs all the parts to make it whole. Uh, and so therefore it's kind of a dance to me. It's a series of very pre- precise moves mixed with the emotions of the moment and the emotions that we're all experiencing at the time. Look at Rogue One in 2016. Um, Star Wars is this feeling that connects with something inside of us we don't fully understand, going even to the Force stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the dance is a very aggressive, loud stomp, and aggressive and raw and very explicit. And other times it's a waltz. It's graceful and it's beautiful, and you got to be drawn in by all of it. And that's that's quite frankly a lot of pressure on Star Wars. It, it really is. There's just there's. I think that yeah. There's so many ingredients in Star Wars, and the choice of which ones do you just. I'm gonna load this dish up with this spice. Yeah. Is is a big choice. I, I wanted to. I was talking about the Revenge of the Sith as an example of something that, at least to me, in 2005 was explicit. But I'm kind of fascinated also that I think there are times when Star Wars is trying to have a lighter touch, and the world kind of takes that away from star wars yeah you know like i feel like the force awakens is often can be seen as downplaying the political right like they definitely didn't want to have any scenes where they talked about the politics right right? um but it does code the empire as the nazi horror of the 1930s and 40s and ask the question uh, you know 
what if no one was willing to accept that that exact horror is rising again? Like, mm-hmm. Force Awakens isn't an overtly political film, but that the young dictator of Hux picking up the dogma of the previous generations, you know, and shouting it, and then having, you know, these uh, stormtroopers answer with a raised fist, you know, that's that stuff's all all can be looked at is like, that's totally evergreen. That's about the um, it, it's Star Wars talking about authoritarianism and the risk of um, the problems of one generation returning. Right. Um, yeah. But it ends up being very reflective of what is actually happening right now. You know? Yeah. When it was made, I think it was kind of like, what if this kind of happened? And then we are seeing an explicit rise yeah. across the globe of, uh, you know, early to mid 20th century style authoritarianism. Um Mm-hmm. explicit anti-Semitism on the rise, right? Uh, with mm-hmm. people marching and shouting directly anti-Semitic statements. So even even Force Awakens that I think was yeah. kind of trying to be, you're slightly more cozy, Star Wars is back. We aren't going to have anybody floating yeah. in a pod talking about taxes. Uh, we're, we're, yeah. we're not going to use much CGI. It's going to be original trilogy. Even then the world, even then it, it, it's so in touch with the, the cycles of evergreen problems that the world is almost made made force awakens more overtly political. It's, it's especially the, uh, the passing of time that we're already so far out of that film, <laughs> right? It's, it's crazy to think of a, a film that was uh, written and conceived and shot in like 2012, 2013, 2014. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so right. It's so funny, you know, cause quote politics, uh, you know, quote unquote are boring, right? Like we don't want no tax roots and, um, how important some of the, the politics of the prequels are now. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think, I think the politics sing out whether we're listening or not, it's there in all the mm. stories and it becomes of, of, uh, of uh, the time. And, and, and that's why Star Wars, you know, sometimes we keep using the term evergreen, but it has to pull back a little bit, you know, a little bit, but cause it's addressing, <laughs> it's addressing the cycle. I'm fascinated by it. And that's why I'm fascinated by seven, eight and nine. And what it was trying to say, and what it, I think it was, what it is doing—the uh, the generational stuff, how the how the legends affect the new generations and the old generations, and the rise of the same kind of evil. Uh, I, was ju- I just stumbled onto a, a video about uh, Tolkien's uh, kind of lost Lord of the Rings sequel. That uh, was in some letters and stuff. Uh, this is about seventy one, seventy two, and it was a uh, hundred years after, and it was the return, not necessarily of, of Sauron, but his return of the same kind of evil. And there's the character trying to figure out: is it is this 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 feel? I was there. My father was a Citadel guard. This feels like the evil of old, and I need to find out. So he goes and meets a character. I'm starting getting the specifics, and he goes, "Oh yes, this is the same evil, but it's not necessarily Sauron returning. It's the same cycle of evil." And right. Tolkien doesn't write it, one, because he says that's kind of a bummer, and two, he dies. <laughs> Which is also a bummer. Also a bummer. Um, and again, that's very general. Tolkien uh, lore heads, please be nice, because I've run against some of you here lately. It's it's a little rough. Um, but my, I, I was listening to this video, and and this person, this person that made a video, then took a swipe at the prequel, or, or at the sequels, in mm. the Lord of the Rings video. <laughs> and I was just like, hey, now, it's important because if Tolkien at least realized if evil left on check will either remain or return, that's like some of the stuff he was literally explicitly saying in this piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Star Wars to me, you could look at the Disney of it all. You could look at the uh, IP. You can look at the stocks, but Disney 
and now Lucasfilm got a chance to continue the story and wake up on the morning after Endor and go, what do we do? And how do we tell this story? And I think this is one of them. It was blessed with this opportunity to teach us about the cycles of evil repeating if we're not careful. I think it's very important. And I, I think, I think it, it's in the mind of a lot of the Star Wars creators now. The books, the comics, they deal with this. And you got High Republic going back to another era, you know, and looking at it too. Anyways, sorry. Sorry, Tolkien heads. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I really agree with you. I think that the... Uh that there's this fascinating thing that by continuing the stories of fantasy characters, they inevitably become a little bit more real and are a little bit more talking directly about real life because there isn't the happily ever after. And I know some people want it and like it. And for some people, Return of the Jedi ends and then, you know, uh, Luke and Han and Leia uh, all have kids and they throw parties and it's great. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. Right, right. Um, yeah, no, it, if, and same thing with Lord of the Rings. If if, if people are like, uh, yeah, Soren's defeated and then, you know, everybody's got a nice time. And they're like, look, Hobbit parties forever. Um, great. But uh, the reality of life is problems reoccur. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you go through other challenges and by choosing to tell more stories, I think you really wrestle with that. Um, yeah. And I think that's what was so smart about the sequels of it isn't just like, who's the big bad, who, who's the, the problem this time. It's that, what if that dogma, what if that need for power, what if the idea that authoritarianism um, in rigid control, what if that reoccurred? And people didn't want to believe it because now, now it seems cartoonish, right? The Empire's been gone forever. What do you mean these fan, this little fan club in one side of the galaxy? They're not a problem, are they? They don't really believe that. They won't really do what Palpatine did, right? Yeah. Um, that suddenly becomes a very interesting, vital story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it begins with, you know, in our own world, in the punchy world of... of Raise a Mary Sue. Um, I, I, I didn't like Rose Tico, but I didn't like what happened to Kelly Marie Tran as if one opinion's needed to combine with the other. And then it goes into people just straight out uh, selling lies that Kenobi is a show trying to replace white men. It, it, you, could, you could see the lessons in, in the <laughs> playing out in the fandom. Yeah. And if you didn't believe yeah. it then, it's tough to fight now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, there, not that there aren't a lot of rough opinions in the fandom, but I am also very aware that that people in a very palpatine like way try who are not fans yes. <laughs> try to yeah. use the fandom to their benefit to see progress to see diversity to see change to see inclusion and know that this is a way that they can try to stir hate and yeah. we all we all know which characters in star wars do that <laughs> yeah we do yeah sorry if i got too real it's just it's all it's all factors into it it, it all factors into it and no i mean i think star wars needs to do <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, I think I think by the the fact that we're taking a long time to answer this question is in, in a way in, in answer of like mm -hmm. uh, I love Star Wars for the the pulp adventure. I love it for the escapism. I love after a hard day to to you know just play some Star Wars Lego and and have yeah. some fun silly time in this fantastic bizarre world. I think it can be escapism, uh, but to me that's about. I'm choosing to engage with it that way. I don't think that it is escapism to come back to ultimately answering uh, Adam's question. I think it can absolutely be uh, used and enjoyed as escapism, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think baked into it is uh, that Lucas, from the beginning, 
meant it to be didactic. It, it, it is it is a text that is meant to teach. Um, it is weird to use this about something as entertaining as Star Wars, but I think Star Wars is edutainment. <laughs> well, you know, I, you yeah, you and I would not be talking about this seven years in with Jennifer if if it didn't have great continued value for her life. Teach us more about herself. I've grown. Uh, so much in the last couple of years, and a lot of it comes from our discussions on Star Wars, have grown and changed, you know, uh, which is hard for some folks. And it's so funny because a lot of those folks who aren't, aren't uh, hanging with me anymore are still the ones who are like, but why do they have to be the first? Why did, were they stormtroopers? <laughs> um, you know, and, 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 and I'll say this, I don't think Star Wars ever was just escapism. <laughs> I don't think it ever was. And think, it just got yeah. taken by that uh, for a lot, um, for a long time, as with a lot of other properties, including yeah. the rings, including Star Trek and all that stuff. You know, and uh, yeah, I think if you you watch THX 1138 and go, wow, <laughs> yeah. and see that a lot of the ideas of the Empire are there uh, and oh. that Lucas clearly has a passion to say, I, I he really uh, is aware of you know, rigid rigid authoritarianism right and then decides to i'm gonna pass on some of those same uh uh concerns and and some ideas about how to respond to that Mm. with family with empathy with bravery with hope uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna put it in this package that's fun to watch so people will see it because thx 1138 is a great film that's a mega bummer (laughs) yeah no (laughs) you know yeah and and, and cold and distant because that's what's being shown is like authoritarianism is going to make everything cold and distant but it's it's potentially a cold and distant film so lucas comes along and says i want to still deal with these same ideas but i want to put them in a warm fun package and star wars will forever be in this tension between how fun it is and how much it is meant to convey deep ideas uh, look, I yeah, yeah, not to get into specifics, but it's like I I got some jokes in my set right now that I have to pull back and remember I got to make people laugh as well. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and yeah. and I look at THX 1138 and then to American Graffiti based on this wonderful challenge of Coppola cuz there's still some uh, coming of age powerful themes in that one and mm-hmm. then put them all together to go how can I read not that George is like I want to have a multi-billion dollar empire. Uh, you know, ironic use of that uh, term, of course, but like uh, George wasn't doing that, but it, I, I do really agree. He was like, well, that's not going to get a lot of people who listening that I want to hear this. So I got to find a different way. And what about the things that influenced me, the, the serials of my day? Yeah. Yeah, sense. yeah exactly. Um, I think that you did a good job of answering Adam's question. And then we talked about some, a lot of other <laughs> things. So I'll, I'll try to come to a conclusion for myself to directly answer Adam's question about, uh, you know, should it remain a parable for our time? I think that the ideas of Star Wars are evergreen, and sometimes they're going to end up being explicitly related to things that are going on right now. Or they could, or a new Star Wars story could even be written as an explicit, uh, uh, you know, metaphor or parable about something that's going on right now. I think the big thing to me is each project should decide uh, what is the most effective way of getting our message across. Mm-hmm. If we embrace Star Wars, that it is meant to convey messages about uh how to be the best person in the world how to handle certain problems uh what what kind of threats to to look out for in the world if you're trying to get any of that kind of message across you know uh with obi-wan kenobi how to how to get past your failure and step toward the future you know all those things whatever the message is i think the question should always be what is the best way for the story to get it across so people truly see it and feel it, and it has a chance of making a difference in their lives. That's the biggest thing to me is 
how do we tell the story so people feel the themes that they, not just they can write them down, uh, you know, in an essay, but they feel them in their souls to the point that it makes a difference in their lives. Absolutely. All they have to do is dance. <laughs> All they have to do is dance. As always, Ken can take complex ideas and make a phenomenal T-shirt idea. Star Wars. All you got to do is dance. Uh, well, said, All right. well said. Thank you, Adam, for the great uh, question. Well said to you as well. We're going to wrap up with, uh, I guess, maybe our agenda on Force Center, which is to encourage uh, positivity, to uh, encourage the happiness and hope and great meaning that can come from Star Wars, which we do with our Power of the Light Side segment. We ask uh, patrons to send in uh, something that has been joyful in Star Wars to them. So we're going to share this uh, entry in Power of the Light Side from Tim Langell. Tim says, as a parent, I love sharing my interests with my children. I love to see their eyes roll as I embarrass them with my unabashed joy and love for silly things. Uh, but what I have loved the most is seeing them latch onto their own silly loves and interests and sharing them with me. For years and years, I was the only Star Wars fan in our home while, I, while my wife and sons shared a love of Lego and puzzles and Pokemon. And I love sharing in those with them. Over the last two years, however, my oldest son and then my youngest son began latching onto Star Wars on their own. Hmm. It started with blips and then forces of destiny and then the sheer explosion of joy when they discovered the Lego Star Wars freemakers and specials. I probably would not have watched any of these on my own, but now that my children wanted to share them with me, it's difficult to not love them all. There are so many pathways in nooks and spaces in Star Wars for people to find their own kind of joy. It truly is the best. That is great. Ken, do you have any thoughts on the uh, the journey of uh, children into Star Wars? Uh, it's not something I've experienced firsthand. I've tried to get Chihuahuas to watch Star Wars. Uh, no luck there. But no, I love hearing it. It's, it's such an interesting, it's, dare I say, a modern problem. Modern problem meaning the last 30, 40 years because my dad did not have to worry about whether I'd like, um, you know, F Troop or something. <laughs> you know, like different times and we are in this from the 80s on i well 70s obviously stars but like pop culture is is our art it's it's how we mm -hmm. it's how we look at the world and and uh we are now in the spot where yeah uh, it's not just a, a movie you like it's something you believe in it's something you're inspired by and when you have children or anyone close to your life um uh i don't need my partner to love everything that i love but you know the fact that we can sit down and enjoy star wars together means the world to me uh, because Star Wars is is so much to me, so yeah, I really love this story. And and I, it, you know, uh, I I'm pals with Jennifer Murrow, Force of Destiny. You're, you know uh, Nicole Nicole uh, Dubuque, right? Uh, yeah, uh, who wrote the like later seasons Force of Destiny. I I say to Jen all the time because because sometimes she gets a little down on on sometimes the reaction that series and everything. I I, I see, there's so many times I hear that things like that or the blips introduce star wars to uh, a new generation the youngest of generations it's really powerful mm -hmm. stuff. it's all part of it and so tim uh, appreciate uh, that as well yeah no i love forces of destiny uh, both fabulous writers and people uh, i i love the star workers star wars freemakers show that that mm. one was uh, particularly great and really opened me up to be like yeah i can enjoy this from lots of different perspectives and i love the story that tim is telling of kind of that like um <laughs> uh that great hope that they will find their way and what a beautiful uh, thing that the the kids just found their own entrance into star wars and then you know everyone uh, could absolutely share it together is really great i'm kind of uh, i'm having that uh the opposite generational thing of my dad took me to star wars uh, and has kind of a fond memory of taking me to the Star Wars. He liked Han Solo because Han Solo said cool things. And that was and that was about it. Then my dad was like, and I'm tapped out. 
<laughs> and someday soon here, I'm going to be able to get him to sit down and watch The Mandalorian. And that's, that's mm. going to be the entryway to him because he's a Western guy. And he's yeah. going to recognize, he's, he's going to turn to me after the first episode like, that, that, he's like the man with no name. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be the path back into to talking about uh, Star Wars with my dad. So really, really appreciate it, uh, Tim. Thank you very much. Any final thoughts, Ken? No, great stuff, Tim. I love that. Keep sharing that joy. Keep experiencing it. All right. Well, this was an, a supersized episode of Questions of the Force because we just happened to pull this week a lot of big ones. Uh, so, Ken, do you want to let people know where they can find us? Next week, what's our favorite color lightsaber? That's it. That's the only <laughs> question. All right. Four times in a row. <laughs> Four times in a row. We are the Force Center podcast feed. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and YouTube as well. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. We're available on Acast, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more merch available tpublic.com slash user slash force center and you can support us directly at patreon.com slash force center don't forget to follow jennifer landa on tiktok and uh also on twitter at uh, jennifer landa um or actually she's got uh, what is it it's jen land and then jen 1138 you all you all know just search jennifer <laughs> on TikTok. i'm still trying to figure out tiktok uh speaking of generational change you can follow me at catnapsuck on instagram twitter or tiktok where occasionally i'll do a silly video with an ewok or you can follow um my uh, go to my website at catnapsuck.com joseph where can they go for uh, all of your tiktok adventures well first they can find me watching your tiktok they're all good but that ewok one that's that, that's real nice real nice and I, there, there's some good surprises in that one yeah, uh yeah you can find me on uh, all the social media all under the handle at joseph scrimshaw i'm on twitter instagram uh tiktok and that's about it right now uh for the most part and you can uh, also find all of my other adventures on my website josephscrimshaw.com uh, in particular, I have a short film in the Lovecraft Film Festival uh, and the if you happen to be in in, uh, in Rhode Island this weekend at the Necronomicon Festival as well. So information on that will be up on my website soon, josephscrimshaw.com. Thank you all so much for the questions. Thank you, Tim, for the power of the light side. Thank you, Adam Lightspeed. <laughs> Just using your first name, not full Lightspeed Bear. Uh, Matt and of course, Ray, thank you all for the questions for myself, for Ken, uh, for Mando and his speech patterns. This has been Questions of the Force. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 